Oh, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Backlog Breakdown Bite-Sized Edition. I am Wes, the Henshin Dad himself, coming to you live, pre-recorded, not really, but I'm coming to you through audio version in order to just impart some of my ever-increasing knowledge and wisdom that all of you have come to know me for. Mostly, actually, I just kind of wanted to test out this brand new microphone I got, and hopefully it sounds good, or else, well, I'm going to have a little egg on my face, aren't I, when I say, hey, this is my brand new microphone, and it sounds like absolutely poopy. But anyway, I decided to record this little bite size, because A, I had some time to do it, B, I wanted to test out the microphone, and C, it's about a topic that I am particularly passionate about these days, and that would be sustainable stewardship. Now, I don't know if that's actually like a real term that people use, because quite frankly, I I don't know. I'm not really that smart, to be honest. But it's the idea of how you can use your resources, like your land, your house, animals, etc., to embrace a style of sustainable living. And you probably would expect me to say something like that because I'm currently in the Pacific Northwest, and yes, I do look like a hippie, but I think it's kind of important for us to start thinking about, especially in, you know, the rocky ups and downs of today's climate and everything, not necessarily environmentally, but, you know, politically. And I just thought, you know, we should probably think about some things that we can we can do in order to become more like sustainable and in what we're able to do within our own homes, as well as just making sure that we're taking care of our families or whomever that we are looking after. So. This idea, I think, I don't want to say it's necessary. I I really don't, because it's not something that you necessarily have to know about these days. And I'm not going to say if you don't practice these types of principles that you're a terrible person and wasteful and just a complete, you know, punk, basically. No, I would never say that. And I wouldn't even I don't even hope that I'm implying that through doing this. But I want to push you in that direction, I think, because I think it is wise. I think it's something that we should be looking at because of, you know, we don't know what's going to happen day to day. Case in point, a couple years ago, uh, our little area around here in Oregon just got hammered with a complete, like, blizzard for a week straight, causing many people to, you know, be without power for a long time. And Texas went through this recently, too. It was bizarre and hardly anybody was prepared for it. And thankfully, I had already like started embracing some of these ideas at that point to where it was not really that difficult. Honestly, I wouldn't say it's super easy, but it was barely an inconvenience, honestly, when we had our giant blizzard here to the point where we could actually share with others and work with them and show them, you know, some hospitality. So I think this is a good idea. It may seem overwhelming and unnecessary in our modern age, but Taking these little steps to ensure that you can survive hard times, you know, when they're like actually coming up to you, like unexpectedly. Well, it's a good example of stewardship, I think, you know, and while this isn't necessarily gaming related, I think, you know, you can take some of the similar ideas. So here are some of the things that I've been embracing to kind of match the style of living so that I can be more self-sufficient. I guess that's the the, the big thing, you know, being self-sufficient in your own home. And I'm going to say like, When I was a kid, we never practiced anything like this. My parents were not into this. And, you know, that's totally fine. But, you know, learning this more as an adult, I really wish I had, like, taken these, you know, opportunities to prepare. So 
let me just run down this list of things that I've been doing. So animals, you have to think about animals. Now, I know a lot of people are not in situations where they can necessarily keep a lot of animals or even big like farm type animals, but there are some small animals that you can get that will actually help to, you know, improve your life somewhat, give you some more healthier food. For example, we have rabbits. Now, I'm not really a big fan of rabbits, even though we have them. You know, I don't know. They kind of bite. They kind of scratch. They're kind of jerks, honestly, in my opinion. Rabbits are jerks. But they do make great lawnmowers. So what I did was I built this movable rabbit tractor around my yard. And I move it every couple of days to a new patch of grass. Just boom, boom, move it over, move it over. I have a big yard, too. We're on the third of an acre, but our house is only like 784 square feet. So we have a big backyard, nice and flat for the most part. And I don't like weed eating. I don't like mowing the lawn. I figure, you know, I don't need this to look nice. It's my backyard. I, I don't necessarily need to have a nice trim backyard. I don't have a homeowners association that's, you know, pushing me to have the best looking backyard. So I just went ahead and built a rabbit tractor. I think it was like 10 by uh, 10 by five, which is really too big. Honestly, it was like 50 square feet. And we have a couple of rabbits that we put in there and we just move this little tractor around. They can't get out easily. We make sure we shore up the different sections with like chicken wire and PVC pipe and everything. And they just go around and they eat the grass. The nice thing about this is I don't have to do the work to do that myself. It's really like super, super easy, I want to say, because I just put them in in the morning and, you know, every couple of days I move it to a new part of the ground that we have in the backyard. And then once I'm done cycling through the main parts, oh, look, all the weeds and grass have grown again on the other side. So I can just move it right back. It's really easy to cycle through. The nice thing about that is not only do they get rid of the bad weeds and, you know, the grass and all that back there but they actually like rabbit poop is considered to be like black gold it's amazingly like fertile uh poop it, it's, it's really good it makes some great fertilizer to the point where we had some like really nasty weeds in our backyard just covered in our backyard it was ridiculous and they were like spiky and nobody liked walking back there but ever since we took the rabbits out there and had them like start chomping on the grass and the weeds and everything they can get rid of the blackberry bushes they can get rid of these nasty weeds and look the grass that's coming up is soft and fluffy and it's just nice grass like you can easily go out there barefoot and you don't have to worry about getting cut up by all these different plants and weeds so it's really nice in that area so rabbits i would definitely say they're jerks but you know they're helpful jerks so Maybe consider, you know, getting a couple of them. I would highly suggest female rabbits, though. Male rabbits are disgusting. I don't even want to talk about them. Female rabbits are the way to go. And like two, two or three makes a good warren there. So whatever that's called, I think it's a warren. I can't remember. It's a it's a good group and everything. And don't worry, they probably won't eat each other all like Watership Down style. Don't worry about that. So rabbits, I'd say, are a great animal for you to have. And the kids love them. They're nice and fluffy. You know, we got some Rex rabbits. They're like the velveteen rabbit. You touch them and they're just like nice, smooth suede. It's great. So another animal that I would highly suggest that you get are like chickens or ducks or possibly even quail. Now, what we use are ducks. We don't we don't really like chickens. They're kind of dumb animals, honestly, in my opinion. Chicken, chickens are dumb and quail we're considering getting in the future, but they're so tiny. I'm just not like really into them. But ducks, ducks are awesome. Also jerks, but they're jerks for a different reason. And the reason why you might want to get ducks is like threefold. They give you delicious eggs. Oh my goodness. Duck eggs are fantastic. They actually have more of like a meaty flavor to them than chicken eggs. And if you're a vegan, obviously you're not going to be interested in this, but I don't think there are many vegans listening to the backlog breakdown. So I digress. But the eggs that they give you, they're just so meaty and nice and thick, like the yolk inside. And sometimes they even give double yolks. It's really great when that happens. 
and they just lay them like every day or two. So it's like free supply of eggs. Yeah, totally. Another reason why you might want ducks is because they offer excellent pest control, especially considering the type of duck that you get. Now, we've gotten like the basic ducks, you know, I don't even know what kinds they are, honestly. But, you know, the, the male's got the green head, the female's like more like the darker browner uh, feather color and everything. So they're kind of like the basic ducks that you'd see. But we also got what's called a Muscovy duck. I think that's what it's called, Muscovy. I'm getting that confused with kombucha. I don't know. But this duck is actually awesome because it not only the ducks, you know, in general eat like, you know, different types of bugs and insects and everything. So we don't really have a mosquito problem in our yard whatsoever during the summer, even though a lot of areas around here do. But what the Muscovy does is actually is a snake killer. Yeah, you heard me right. A snake killer. And ever since we put that duck in our yard, I have not seen a single garter snake out there, which is big for me because I hate snakes. Snakes are the absolute worst. So, you know, actually having a duck that eats snakes and like hunts them down and everything, that is sweet. I love it. And I don't have to worry about stepping on one. I'm just walking around out there and, you know, running back inside and never going out in the backyard again. So that's great. And then the other thing about ducks is that that chickens and quails offer as well. They offer meat. You know, we had our first duck butchering experience a couple months ago and while a bit traumatic for me and, you know, my son was super into it, kind of scary, a little bit weird, that one. We had some pretty good duck meat, and we could just toss it in the crock pot. We could just put it in the oven and roast the duck and everything. And while the meat wasn't plentiful, like these were ducks that we had raised from eggs ourselves. So we had, you know, eight ducks total in our backyard, four of which had, you know, hatched from eggs. And so we just took a couple of those that had hatched recently. We took a couple of them that we'd had for a while that was old. And, you know, we got rid of them. We took care of them. They went off to the pasture, if you, you know, understand what I mean there. And we had four, you know, I guess you could say carcasses of meat stashed in our fridge and we ate the duck meat and it was it was OK. It's not my favorite type of meat. It's pretty dark. But if you like dark meat, apparently a lot of people do. Those people do exist. Duck meat's fantastic. And, you know, chickens and quail, they can do the same thing for you. So just think about that. You have your rabbits who are like fertilizing the ground and everything. You got your ducks that are doing pest control. It's just a really nice, like symbiotic experience. And, you know, they clamp down on the fertilizer and everything with their little web feed and all the water that you have to use to bathe them and everything and get them water and everything. It really helps the ground. It, it Things grow really nicely, which leads me into my next thing. Garden boxes. Now, last year, when we were kind of stuck inside and didn't really know what was going on and everything, we made some garden boxes, which has been excellent from providing like vegetables, like fresh vegetables and herbs and compost areas for our house. So now we can just really take a lot of the like organic -y composting, like banana peels and eggshells and everything. We just toss them into the garden boxes, you know, stamp them down a little bit and it creates excellent compost. And then you take all the rabbit poop that you got, mix it in with there. It's great. It grows these vegetables. We've had some delicious tomatoes, delicious peppers, delicious cabbages coming from our different garden areas that we have. We have four garden boxes right now, and it was pretty easy to put together. It just took about a day, and I brought in a lot of wood chips and mulch and everything, and we just filled those bad boys up, and we've just had you know great garden experience ever since then. So I would highly suggest garden boxes if you can't like have a full-on garden in your backyard, if you just want a couple segmented areas to grow some things. Uh, we even had like a corn stalk or something growing out there. I'm not really sure how that works, but it's growing. I see it and I water it frequently. I hope that's not bad for it, but we'll see. Now you might be thinking, well, I can't do a lot of this stuff in my yard. I have a tiny backyard. And, you know, if you can't do this stuff, I totally understand. 
Not a problem. There are some things that you can do and actually in order to get some of these same nutritional foods while also helping local farmers in your area. And that would be farm shares. Now we've been doing farm shares for the last couple of years for specifically milk. Now there's a local farm. It's about 30 minutes from here and they deliver milk to a drop point like down the street from our house every single week. And they deliver milk, they deliver eggs, they deliver meat, all sorts of things that you would expect from a farm. So we just pay every year and you know do like a monthly payment each month for our milk. We're spending like 30 bucks because it's like the only place around here. So 30 bucks a month for a couple jars of milk, like once a week. And that works out pretty well for us. My wife really wants to get even more jars of milk because she just loves the raw milk. And you know, it, you may have some debates about pasteurization and all that, but Honestly, I can't argue with the results of this. Like out of all of us in the house, like I'm the only one that doesn't drink raw milk because I'm not a real big fan of the flavor, to be perfectly honest. I'm also the one that gets sick the most. Uh, my my wife, my children, they drink that stuff like it's, you know, basically like it's chocolate milk or some kind of sugar and they hardly ever get sick. And I'm just like, oh, OK, I guess maybe I'm kind of hurting myself by sticking with the store-bought stuff. But, you know, I think that's a you know risk I'm willing to take. And they they stay pretty healthy with it, all things considered. And they have a little cup every single day. And I think it's working great for them. And then what we just recently decided that we are going to do is that we are actually going to get into a meat share. Now, some of you might have experience with like buying like a whole lamb or a whole cow and getting it all cut up and keeping it in your freezer. And that's basically what we're doing. But we're just doing it from the local farm, not necessarily from like, you know, the farmer's market or the 4-H kids at the county fair or anything like that. We're, we're actually like going in on half a lamb. So about 30 to 40 pounds of uh, lamb meat for hopefully that'll last us like all summer and to the next winter. And that's what we're going to be doing. And it's it's going to be interesting because this is a one time fee versus like a kind of like a subscription model that we do at this other farm. So we're kind of competing against the different farms. But at least this way, we're getting like fresh milk every week and we have fresh lamb that will like actually, I don't know, feed us for probably like six months or so. And I just prefer that to going into the store and buying it at like a premium, honestly, which really it is like it's actually more expensive if you just want to get like the healthy stuff to just buy it from the farm than try to buy it from the store or the farmer's market, in my opinion. That's what I've been noticing. Like it has hardly been like an expensive thing in our budget. And we just make sure we budget it out properly that we can afford this type of thing for us. And I think it's been healthy for the kids as well to be able to know like where their meat's coming or where their meat's going to be coming from as well as where the milk's coming from. And the farm that we do the milk share, they invite people to come on over and work with them and actually milk the cows themselves. And it's a great learning experience, especially if you're homeschooling kids. So definitely highly recommend it if you're a young parent. Uh, that's one way you can get like all that nutritious food and everything. A couple other things you can do fermentation. Now fermentation gets like a really weird wrap. People mostly consider that to be like more like alcohol related and everything, but you can actually ferment a lot of stuff. For example, kombucha. Kombucha is that non-alcoholic, almost like an alcohol type drink, but without the actual alcohol. You can actually ferment that at home like really easily. And it takes a couple weeks to get it just right. And you're just kind of sitting there. I guess it's very similar to beer and stuff when you're actually, I don't know, distilling it yourself. I'm not really sure the terminology there. But the kombucha is like pretty healthy. There's like some apple cider vinegar. You can flavor it. It's got like the nice strong like fruit taste if you put some fruit in it. It's a real delight to drink, honestly. And we have it pretty much every day when we're like in the cycle of like actually starting it. Uh, kimchi is also another big one, which we started when we were in Korea, but we really 
didn't get it up and going like until we got here. So we just cycle it every couple of weeks. And my wife makes a new kimchi using cabbage and the kimchi mix that we get from the Asian market about, you know, 80 minutes away. And we go periodically and just one packet of that kimchi mix will last you years, basically. And that's she's been using basically the same packet for like three years at this point. So it actually goes a long way. And if you don't want to go get those mixes and everything, you can always make like sauerkraut and everything like that. I never really enjoyed sauerkraut until we actually made it ourselves. And it makes a big bunch. We keep them in these nice large, like these nice large glass jars. And honestly, like I don't really enjoy like any kind of store-bought stuff like that. Like when I get my kimchi, it's like I want the homemade kimchi that my wife makes. I want the sauerkraut that my wife makes. It's really delicious stuff. And the probiotics are just fantastic for you. Not to sound like a weird hippie, but like all this natural stuff that people have been doing for so many years, like hundreds and hundreds of years, like, well, there's a reason why they did it. Like, it, it's it's a healthier way to do it. It's more, I guess, natural. And somebody will just call me a dirty hip, hippie for saying that. But that's just kind of how people did things for like so long. So like, we don't necessarily have to throw out the baby with the bathwater as we're doing more progressing in our technological, you know, world that we're living right now. So fermentation, I highly recommend that if you want a delicious beverage or if you want some side dishes to put with the the meat that you're eating that you got from that your local farm, obviously. And I would also rec- recommend just make some bread. Bread is a little bit trickier to get into because it requires a lot of prep work when if you're not used to it especially. But it's it's pretty fun to do that. And we've been doing it as a family and we've made some pretty good like sourdough type breads and non sourdough breads. And it's the, the big loaf actually lasts a good while. And as long as you get into the cycle, that's the thing with this like fermentation and this bread and gardening and everything, you just kind of got to get into the routine. You got to get over that initial hump of uh, I don't really want to do it. And I totally understand. I, I don't necessarily want to get up to go and, you know, get the ducks out of their coop and have them graze around and everything and feed them. It's a pain, you know, they, they get up at the, you know, first sign of light in the morning and I got to get them before they start, you know, quacking all the time. And you have to really watch the kimchi as you're fermenting it so it doesn't develop any kind of mold and everything. So, yeah, I get it. Like it, it requires some buy in from you. You know, you have to actually put some energy into it. But when you get into that cycle and into that routine, much like with anything, things get like easier over time. As you start fermenting more, you know, you can use things from your previous ferment to help you with your next one. And it's really nice. It makes it a lot easier over time. As you're making bread, you know, the the yeast and everything and the uh, whatever what, what you call the sourdough starter stuff. Like as you like continue working with that stuff, it gets easier over time because it develops into a different thing. And I would also recommend, you know, outside of food, outside of like animals and everything, rethink your heating situation if you can. I know this isn't necessarily an easy thing for people to do, and it was definitely not easy for me. And the initial cost was catastrophic, it felt like at the time. But taking out the baseboard heaters that we had in our house because one, my son loves putting his fingers into that. And that was not working for me at that point. I did not want him to get electrocuted. So we took out the baseboard heaters in our house and I installed a wood stove. And this thing was a pain in the butt, let me tell you. But because of that, like our primary heat source is wood heat. So about six months out of the year, we're burning wood pretty regularly and we have to go and get the firewood and everything. But because of that, my electric bills are just like, super low like basically all year round like my electrical bills honestly like it's like 30 to 50 dollars very like varying numbers there but 30 to 50 dollars a month 
which is like, I know a lot of people that spend like more than a hundred or $200 a month for the power bill. And that's not like what I want to do. The nice thing about the wood heat is that we can also cook on it. When we had that big blizzard a few years ago, we didn't have any problem. We had heat, we had food that we could bake on it. And we still had our water because the pipes had been frozen because of the way we had the pipes insulated when I got here. So because of that, it's like other than just not having any like electricity to, you know, start up the, you know, water heater or anything or turn on any lights when it got dark, it was pretty cozy, all things considered, when we just had heat all the time and we could cook on the wood stove. And so I would definitely recommend that. It's also a good, you know, source of exercise and you know, it helps uh, get you fresh air when you actually have to go out and actually cut that wood. And learning that skill, I, I feel like was really helpful for me specifically because, A, I mean, I get a lot of exercise with it and I get to go outside and I get to use an axe and actually like chop the wood myself into the precise pieces for the dimensions of our wood stove. And just being able to tell at a glance, okay, is this piece ready? Is this piece ready? Nope. Nope. Some of them have to come in and get dried by the fire. Some of them are ready to go right in the fire and just learning that skill that more like naturalist type skill, I guess. I, I'm not really sure how to put it, but just having to do that for myself was like super rewarding, I think, and has definitely like helped me have more respect for the people that have to do that, you know, as a profession or just, you know, just understanding what hard work actually is. And it's really not even that hard of a work. It's very relaxing, to be perfectly honest, when you finally get that perfect split on the wood. So I would definitely recommend that if you can convert to wood heat. Obviously, it's not going to work in every climate, but if it does work for your climate and it can actually save you on some of your electricity bills, I'd say go for it, to be perfectly honest. So those are the, the things that I've been embracing specifically for this sustainable stewardship model. And I know that my wife's been so happy with it, to be like perfectly honest, like being able to really like in as much as possible, live off the land. We live in just like a little tiny house in a suburb area. We have houses on all sides of us. We just have a really nice big backyard. So that's been helpful for us to be able to do that. So I would say my challenge to you would be look around and see what you could actually do with your own house, with your own property, within reason. Obviously, if you can't you know, keep animals because of CCRs or whatever those things are called, because who knows why, if there's like rules about keeping animals, obviously you can't do that. Not as efficiently, at least. I mean, you know, I would never recommend that anybody like keeps animals uh, more than they should. I'm, I'm, I would never, I would never recommend that. I would never knowingly do that myself. <clears throat> but anyway, I would, I would recommend like looking around, seeing what you could do around your house. And if nothing else, I would say start the fermenting and making bread on your own because it's very rewarding to do that. You know, to, to actually take your hands and put them to something like productive, something that's actually going to help your family. And I know that it's been a great learning time for me, my wife, my children, when they can actually see where their food comes from. I think that's like empowering in a way and very honoring to to God and what like the skills that he's given people to be able to understand this and discover this. So some resources to check out. Not, not too many. I would highly recommend you read a book by Joel Salatin called The Marvelous Pigness of Pigs. And Joel Salatin, he's been on like Joe Rogan's podcast and he's definitely a little bit more like hippie than some people would expect. And he's got some interesting viewpoints that I don't even necessarily agree with. But the marvelous pigness of pigs, I think, really helped to kind of open my eyes to, you know, the treatment of animals in these different like animal mills, you might call them and 
just kind of saying like, maybe I don't necessarily want to support such an industry all the time if I can avoid it. Like sometimes you can't avoid it and I don't want to put it on anybody's conscience that, you know, if you have to do it, you have to do it. You got to do what you got to do to feed your family. That's the most important part. But I would also say I'm, I'm kind of not feeling comfortable with a lot of that stuff. So I'm trying to go the more, I don't know, organic, free-range type route. Joel Salatin, J-O-E-L, Joel, and then Salatin, S-A-L-A-T-I-N. I would highly recommend you just go watch some of his videos and see what the Polyface Farm uh, methods are all about, you know, just to get an idea. And I would also just say, like, look up what homesteading is like on YouTube. And you, you'll see, like, people even in tiny little apartments in, like, the middle of cities, they can learn a sense of homesteading and actually apply a lot of these principles to what they're doing even in their tiny little apartments with absolutely zero land you know there's a lot you can actually do on your own so i would actually recommend looking up like homesteading videos i think justin rhodes is one where he and his wife moved out to the country because they both got different types of diseases and just by embracing this more i guess natural way of living and farming and everything they were both able to like really like mitigate the effects of the types of diseases like i think he has like lyme disease or something and you know i guess just moving out to the farm was really able to help with that so you know i'm not like necessarily like oh all medicine's bad or all vaccinations are bad no no i'm definitely not doing that and if you can't do things you can't do things i'm just saying like there's some things that we've been doing for the last you know couple thousand years that you know we, we, we can do that still. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of stigma attached to this kind of more natural living that I don't think is necessarily warranted. So hope I've given you some food for thought, and I hope that you'll uh, take some of these ideas and apply them to your own life as you learn to, you know, grow closer to your family through this type of hard work and being able to teach your families about that and just being a good steward of what you have and try to live in a more sustainable you know, not as wasteful way, I guess, is what I'm going for. So anyway, I'm Wes. I'm the Henshin Dad. You can find me at the Henshin Dad podcast. And I've been on the show a million times, it feels like at this point. And hopefully I'll get to be on a million times more if they don't kick me out of the group. Totally hope they don't do that someday. But you know, maybe with all my hippy dippy living stuff that I am talking about now, maybe this will be like my final, my final podcast for you. So stay awesome and be cool and mind your backlogs and finances and um i don't know what else uh the final word goes to me and i'm just gonna say hey stay cool goodbye Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Backlog Breakdown. If you want to join in the conversation, you can email us at thebacklogbreakdown at gmail.com or join our Facebook group, The Backlog Book Club, on Facebook. And on Twitter, our handle is at BBDownCast. Of course, you can also catch Nate and I on our social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, and the GG app. I go by Broccolope, that's spelled B-R-O-C-C-O-L-O-P-E, and Nate goes by Nate underscore McKeever. Till next time, loggers, you keep beating down those backlogs, and we'll keep breaking down the benefits. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. 
He told me you killed him. No. I am your father. No. No. That's not true. That That's impossible. This is such an incredible moment. A memory that will bring joy to the hearts of millions of people for generations. Wait. Wait, what? The sort of thing they talk about on the Retro Station podcast. The stories, movies, music, moments that brought us together as a people. That we enjoyed with friends. <laughs> you laugh about this with your friends? My life has been a lie! Exactly. This is wonderful. <laughs> You're crazy! No, everyone agrees this is a truly classic moment. Oh, wait, wait a minute. Did you kill Mom then? I... I'd, I'd rather not talk about that. Oh, I, I bet they talk about that on the retro station, huh? What a classic moment that was when Mom died. Actually, most people thought that was a bit of a letdown. They made memes making fun of it. They, they made memes of Mom? The Retro Station Podcast. Celebrating all those things that made us nerds.